0: Explore. Welcome to Offshore Explorer with Scott Dodgson. Today we're gonna to talk a little bit about being a repo man. A lot of boats are repoed, a lot of boats get stolen. I mean, last year. Stats were like 6,000 boats were stolen in just the state of Texas, another almost 10,000 in Florida. It is it is a crazy kind of epidemic, so to speak, of, of boat stealing, but it, it's been going on for like ever, um, and there's a lot of reasons why people end up stealing these boats, and Some are just really pretty greedy and for profit. So anyway, the analysis of uh, which boats kinda get stolen um, is usually boats on trailers. I mean, these are the majority of the boats are uh, personal watercraft, you know, your jet skis and stuff. You leave them, uh, you know, locked up on the trailer uh, in your driveway you know, covered, whatever the case may be, and you wake up one morning, you go out there, and the damn thing's gone. This is the way it goes. Usually bigger boats um, don't have the same amount of frequency, but they do happen. So I happened to get into this kind of weird thing. Um, I was working for Vessel Assist at the time, and, you know, we were pretty busy uh, moving boats around in Marina Del Rey, um, Los Angeles, California. California, And we're going along, you know, and every day was, oh, uh, we just, you know, start out moving boats uh, over to the boatyard. And, you know, for people to have repairs and stuff like that. And if, if you get into the marine industry, you'll pretty much do all sorts of different kinds of jobs, I mean, I've done everything from being an engine mechanic to being a painter to being a varnisher. I've done electrical. I've done plumbing. I've done, you know, all sorts of stuff. Um, And in fact, uh, early in my career, um, I used to be designated as a surveyor um, in Europe. And when working for a new owner uh, who was building a boat, um, I would be his captain, but I'd also be uh, the what they call the owner's surveyor. And the owner's surveyor for big boats. Um, just a quick aside with this is we go to the yard and oversee the build of the of the boat for the owner. Um, I did this in the San Lorenzo yard. They were they were so happy, and I was such a pain in the ass that they. They actually offered me a job there and um, in a weird way, I kind of regret not taking that job because it would have uh, been very cool um, that because San Lorenzo's really grown and it would have been it would have been a pretty cool job um, but the main thing is is as surveyors you go and you just check everything out um, you know make sure they do the right things. Now yard people, marina people, if they're not like completely honest um, they can get over on you no matter how how close you watch i I built this one uh, San Lorenzo 90 for a Finnish family and um, it was a lot of problems uh, with the owner he was he was just he was like two years old and he was just always something. And I felt very uncomfortable working for him. I just didn't have a good relationship with him. And I know that's a surprise that I wouldn't have a good relationship with somebody, but that, eh, you know, it happens. And so we built this boat and, um, the water exhaust tubes. Now these are coming off of the San Lorenzo 90. They were, um, big, uh, caterpillars. And um, the exhaust on it is about maybe twelve to twenty inches in diameter. Uh, they're big, and then they get wrapped um, with uh, heat for heat protection because they will get really, really hot because they're getting the exhaust from the engine. And this is a high-performance boat. This is a planing boat. Um, the boat the boat easily cruises at twenty-five knots, and and. Almost in any kind of sea, you would never spill your drink. It's that stable. So those exhaust pipes, which are about four and a half to five feet long, they've got a bend in them, and they're supposed to be made of stainless steel. But the yard guy, the head of the yard, the, uh, the number one guy in the yard, he would put just regular steel in there. And the steel would last exactly a year. And that's when the warranty on that stuff gave up. And then the owner, he freaked out when he found out. In fact, I wasn't working for him at the time. And he freaked out and he came to me and he said, you know, how how come, you know, what happened? You know, why did you let this happen? And I said, I never saw it. I said, who would think that they would try to save money on such an important part of, of a exhaust system in a, in a, in a, in a boat. And he, he was livid. But the, what the, what the yard, yard guy did was he just, the stainless steel tubing was, that was probably about six, $7,000. The stain, the, the regular steel that he put in there, you know, was probably, I don't know, $1,000, four 500. And he pocketed the rest um, he later got found out for doing this kind of stuff and fired, um, fired as anyone can be fired in Italy, but you know, let's say he was put into retirement in the boatyard and wasn't allowed to do any of this kind of stuff. So back to boat stealing, um, Florida is number one in boat stealing there. 47% of all the boats um, there get stolen. And these are mostly small boats. But let me tell you what the scam is, and maybe you can get a better understanding. So, the scam is this, and I know this really well because I have this Chinese f- friend, Jerry, and Jerry is a very enterprising young man. Um, he's got a great backstory. Um, he, he, he came actually, he was in, he's Chinese, but he grew up in the border of Mongolia and lived in China, but right on the border of Mongolia, middle of nowhere and ended up going to the university and then ended up coming to the United States to study, um, ended up staying in the States, getting a visa, um, eventually, uh, becoming a U.S. citizen and very smart guy. Okay. Um, came from a long way away and he was, he was kind, he was a cool guy. I liked, I liked being around him. And, um, he, he had got these Chinese guys, investors involved in this boat business and what the boat business was this normally when a, a boat on a trailer boat, 26 foot or something like that. Okay. Um, People who steal them will uh, strip them down. If they if they can get the the fiberglass off of them, they would take the fiberglass. They they take everything they can get. So everything comes off of that, and then all of those pieces and parts and engines and and cables and and wheels and every possible thing, even the teak that maybe might be trim, they'll take that. The anchors, whatever you have on that boat get stripped off and what you're left with is just a haul so what these thieves do is they'll strip it down they'll resell it all this stuff either on craigslist or some other you know um sales uh app and they'll that they, you know it'll disappear and and some people know that they're buying i mean if you if you go and you're going to buy you know a, a, a 90 horsepower evan right for a third of the price, um, you can be guaranteed that's probably been ripped off, okay? So you got to be careful and don't try to uh, contribute to the the crime. Um, But in any case, what they did is is Jerry came up with this idea that all these boats were being stolen and the hulls were being left like in Kmart parking lots or Costco or whatever, just the hull, just laying there. Because the trailers go too. They they, you know, repurpose all the trailers. Everything goes. Except for the hull. So Jerry came up with this idea with these other Chinese investors and say, well, why don't we just take the hulls? Okay. And he knew a guy who knew a guy who was doing this this stuff. Now, you know, you're talking about Six thousand hulls, maybe that they could probably get their hands on in a year, right? Um, There's all sorts of you know nefarious networks out there, and so anyway, he took these hulls and he would cut them down. Like, say, a Cuddy cruiser, okay, Um, old old thing, ready to not sink so much, but it's just the hull on its fiberglass. The rest of the boat is crap what are you going to do with it? You're going to put it in, you know, in the dumpster. Um, it costs a lot of money to do that. But what Jerry did is they would pay Jerry to take it away. He'd cut the, he'd cut the roof off of it and he'd cut the, he just, he, he was, he's a sawzall crazy man. And he would, he would cut all that stuff. He'd pull all the chairs, everything out, strip the hull down. So it was just a hull. take it out of the water, grind off the serial numbers. Um, if he didn't own the boat, if it was just somebody trying to get rid of it. And and then he would just shove it into a container. And he had this business going. And he was the guy that was doing all this. And I remember talking to him about it because he hung around the marina. I saw him down in Wilmington. Again, I saw him down in San Diego a couple of times. And at the time, as a vessel assist guy, you get to know what boats are where, whose boat, you know, all the different things. I know I got a couple of comments when I did the podcast on marinas, and I have that beautiful picture of Marina del Rey, and uh, one of the listeners said, geez, you need a GPS just to get around the marina. And it, it, it once you figure it out, it's not hard. Um, boats, if you're looking for a 35-foot boat, there, there's only a certain number of places that 35-foot boat is going to be. So you can go to each one of the different um, um, cause or fairways and look down and say, okay, here's the dock where thirty fives go, or here's the dock where forty fives go. So you end up you you get to know where all the boats are, and you you get to know all the types of boats, okay. And and so while while I was doing this and moving boats and doing the stuff, all the stuff, I met this guy Jerry, and and he kind of came up and. Uh, approached me and we went out for a drink. We had some lunch together, um, you know, sitting, sitting on a boat that he had, um, the owner had actually asked him to get rid of the boat. And so Jerry did, he was the, the owner paid him, you know, paid him like 800 bucks. And Jerry stripped that thing down, cut the top off of that little boat and took the hull and shoved it into a container, and that boat was gone. As it turns out, Jerry found out that the the guy um, uh, made an insurance claim and said someone stole his boat, which puts Jerry in this kind of really awkward situation because he was paid to do it. And there's a lot of this kind of nefarious crap going on. I've gone out to help people and found out that they've tried to sink their boat And what people people have this image in their head that it's going to go down like the Titanic. Well, fiberglass boats, wood boats, they don't sink so fast. They float. And that's you know, it takes a long time for them to go down. So you'll often have somebody calling and saying, Oh, yeah, my boat's sinking. I you know, can I be saved? And the Coast Guard will be out there, the lifeguards will be out there, we'll be out there. You get out there and there's the boat it's about half submerged, okay and you realize that the guy had cut all the hoses and had opened all the seacocks and is trying to sink his boat and everybody that's involved just looks at the guy going like, "You numbskull this is not how you sink a boat. it's just not how you sink a boat and I'm not going to tell you how to sink a boat, but it does require a trip to um, it does require a trip to get some concrete the only way, the only thing I can say. Bags of it, a lot of bags of it. Any case, that's neither here nor there for this, this repo uh, subject. So I met Jerry doing this weird kind of, you know, boat disappearing act and you know, he's, he was trying to be as upstanding as possible. Um, he had a couple of kids, and this guy, like, really put a squeeze on him. And he didn't, he was just, like, screwed. And so as everything kind of came to pass, it, he realized that nobody was ever going to find that hull. Because what they were doing is those hulls were being shipped to China, and sometimes they were being shipped to Malaysia, okay? And they were sold to fishermen for uh, cheap money, Okay, they would go out and use them as fishing hulls. They, they didn't need anything fancy, you know. They didn't want a cutty cabin. They didn't want any of this. They just put a big outboard on the back of it and just go. And they would just cut it up, so it was, you know, that's what it was. And they'd use it as fishing boats, or smuggling boats, or whatever kind of boats. There's a there's a lot of different um, there's a lot of different things to 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 use boats for. Um, You know, slavery is another thing which exists, um, kind of important and big in um, in uh, in Asia. Um, you see a lot of it at that point, but in any case, um, so what happens is a lot of these boats, their hulls are gone, the equipment stripped off of them, and then. What happens is, is Jerry was actually taking the motors out of some of these boats. Now, these were like inboard diesel motors. And he started to clean them up himself. And then it's so much work, he just gave up because he couldn't make any money at it. So he took the motors out of the boat, and he put them all in a container. And he would ship those motors to, to China. And in China, somebody would take them and that there would be these guys getting paid zero money, you know, a buck an hour or whatever. And they would do this whole uh, cleanup. And then you have, you know, diesel engines are very good. They're very reliable and they'll last forever. Okay. It's, it's, they just keep going. And, you know, even gas engines, today's gas engines, you know, like a Honda or, or a Yamaha. You know they'll they'll just go on and on and on and on if they're taken care of and it can be refurbished and you know what what fisherman doesn't mind having like a fifty horsepower Honda that's practically new that he's bought for you know a quarter of the price um, so there's there's that whole market kind of stuff going so I'm on the vessel Sysboat going around. And seeing all these boats and moving boats, and I know this boat and I know that boat, and I run into this guy who actually was referred to me, and he was from a, a repo company, and uh, they were down in Newport Beach. They're part of another com. They're they're a branch of a company in Florida, and they're they're one of the big big repo companies in in the world. And so the guy comes down and we're t- you know, he's saying, Have you seen this boat? And shows me a picture of it and all the rest of this kind of stuff. He's looking for it, and I go, Oh yeah, I know exactly where that boat is. And he says, Great, let's go. And and so he he like paid me five hundred bucks to take him over to this boat on my vessel boat to take him over to the boat. And it was it was like a fifty foot power boat, I don't remember the make. Um I think it was uh, Tanya powerboat, Taiwanese anyway. And um, so he just, he hops up on the boat and he says, we're going to, we're going to take this boat. So we come on the boat. There's, it looks like somebody had just left. There's stuff in the refrigerator. Um, There's children's toys laying around. Um, It's, you know, the TV set was on Um, all sorts of things, right? So we just cast off the lines, and and using vessel assist boat, I towed the boat out of the slip and took it over to the boatyard. The boatyard picked it up with its lift and put it on the hard. Well, the family that was on that boat, their mortgage was way past due, and they had to pay up their mortgage in order to get their boat back. And then there was this whole drama about the boat and it was on the hard, and who was going to pay to put it back in the water and I'll tell you when you get in trouble with a mortgage like that, it is one thing to um pay off the mortgage, but then it's all the rest of the stuff well luckily they were they were paid up on their um uh slip fees a lot of times with these boats, people stop paying their slip fees and the the marina manager is really ready for you to take the boat and to get the bank to pay for it, the slip fees and in fact there's a whole scam that works with that for bigger boats in which and I, any experienced repo guy will tell you this is that you know especially in foreign countries they will take the the, the marina fees and jack them up s- so much that it's over the value of the boat and they will ask for it. Like they'll take a $2 million boat and charge $50 million or whatever, some sort of ridiculous number in, in, um, in, in fees. And that will end up being like, you know, they hope that the, 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 the bank will just say, okay, screw it. And they will give up. And then that boat, because the owner's in with the marina guys, that's how they work. So this is a kind of scam that you have to, you know, you got to sniff out. So we found this boat, we put it up on the hard, the people were very upset. Um, They came, they managed to pay the bank. Um, We put the boat back in, they put the boat back in the water and he went, he went, Back to a slip after this little drama, but the bank got its money. They got back up on stuff. And listen, the bank doesn't want the boats at all. They they don't want the boats at all. Um, they they would rather figure something out. Um, that's where they are. But when they get to the point where they're not figuring stuff out with you, then you're kind of screwed because they re, you know because the bank is they don't want boats because they're not going to get the value of the boat out, even as much as they try, okay? Um, it's hard to sell boats like that that have been, you know, repossessed. Um, a lot of problems with boats like that. But as a repo guy, um, these guys, they said, hey, look, this is great, thanks. We appreciate what you did. They paid me for my time, and it was nice. It was like 500 bucks for towing one boat that normally I would have towed for like 50 bucks and done. Thank you. Off we go. Let's go get some beer. And, um, so they, they would call me, um, you know, like in the next couple of days, they said, Hey, look, there's this boat down in uh, Redondo. Could you go down there? We'll fax you the paperwork, go down to Redondo, go to the Harbor patrol, which the Redondo Harbor patrol is the gammiest group of people I've ever met in my life. That whole organization is why they exist. I have no idea, but in any case, um, that's another story. And, um, I go down there, present all the paperwork and stuff like that. And yep, there it is. And you know, it was a, it was a nice, uh, uh 51 first, uh, Beneteau mortgage done, not paid, take the boat, literally start, go on the boat, start the boat up, cast off the lines you do it all yourself back the boat up and out of the marinas as quickly as you can go and for bigger ships you know like medium-sized cargo vessels and stuff that get repossessed you try to get outside the 12 mile limit that way the local government can't you know come after you and accuse you of stealing and there's all sorts of nefarious and interesting ways you know to get the government to look the other way, but they're in it. They're they're in on the scam to a certain degree, and they don't like somebody coming into their country and humiliating them by stealing a boat out of the marina. That's how they see it, you know, when you're just repossessing the boat. But one of the weird things about it, and, and it's kind of a... you got to really have a lot of experience to do this, is first of all, you gotta be able to start boats because the keys aren't there. Surprisingly enough, there's enough boats where there are keys, which is kind of weird. So you need to be able to break a lock, cut a lock off. So you always have your lock cutters, go downstairs, pull up the the engine, um, the floor to the engine or wherever the engine is, okay? Take your screwdriver, go onto your solenoid and start that sucker. Cause once that once that diesel engine started, you're good to go. I mean for the most part, I never took a boat that was gas powered. Um, it was just simply a diesel. So I did that up in, um, where was it? Ventura. Nobody around the Marina manager was standing there. He was all set for me. He cast the lines off. He said, get this boat out of here. Cause he didn't like the guy at all. And I took, I took the boat, um, that was up in ventura, the same thing down in Redondo. They wanted paperwork we did all the paperwork We went here we went there da, 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 da. and finally i got i got the i got the boat started and 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 took off and when I went downstairs and started the boat without the key, the marine marine harbor guys they they were like they were they we should arrest you i said For what you know because you're you've got these skills this is you should rescue for your skills this how stupid these people are and 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 I just laughed at them it was like come on you know this is what this is what we do we're going to get this boat out of here and then I would take the boat and I'd sail it down to Newport beach now a lot of times when you repo these boats if it's a sailboat um, or a powerboat sailboats generally have fuel in them Because you have to get them fueled before you you go. Or you're just flat sailing that sucker. And I've had this happen where I've actually run out of fuel before I got out of the marina or before I got over to the fuel dock. Um, Sometimes owners will sabotage the boats. I had a uh, twin-engine Ferretti. It was a uh, 60- or 70-foot Ferretti. And somebody had taken... um, there was a there's a complicated um, uh, fuel filtering system on the Ferretis. and they have you know there's a day tank in the in the center line and, and they're fed through other fuel tanks that are on the left at the port and starboard of the boat, and if you if you there's valves that are kind of hidden, in which you could turn off the fuel. And what they did was they turned one of the valves off completely and the other one halfway. And what happened is I only had one engine running on very lean fuel, um, because the engine sucked up more out of the day tank than you could possibly imagine. And, and I, you know, it was like, then it would catch up. Um, and the fuel pumps were working hard and I thought, Oh, it's a fuel filters clogged or this, but it, People that allow the mortgage to go are the same people that don't do any maintenance on their boats. So this is where you end up basically getting screwed, and it's it's a really kind of hard um, call, let's say, to see what kind of condition that the boat's in. If it's a sailboat, you know, I'll sail it out of there. I have no problem with that. But I've gone and found like the main halyard cut. Or the main halyard jammed at the top. Okay, I've gone in and 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 found that that um, somebody took a crap in the in one of the bedrooms. You know, I've I've found that that um, there's things broken, like just trash inside the boat and all around. And these are things that are just like you know, these are pain in the ass kind of things. So, you have to do the best you can, and you finally get the boat out of there. Now, I have also gotten into a little bit of wrangle. These guys were really nice. They would call me, you know, once a month, and, you know, make an extra 500 to to 1000 bucks a month, I mean, depending on how long the delivery was, and um, was it, you know, it was a nice deal. It was, you know, 48 hours, they would give me a ride back up to the marina wherever I you know, back up to Marina Del Rey, um, and then they started to ask me questions like, "Look, we have this boat. We know where it is, but we got to get it back, and it's in Hawaii." And I said, "Cool, I'm gone." And I would, fl- I flew out to Hawaii, and um, went to Honolulu, and right there in the in that main marina, I um, found the boat, and the boat had an entire family on it. And I had the paperwork. I went to the uh, sheriff and I went to the Marine manager, presented all the paperwork, showed them what it was, that this boat is being repossessed. And when a boat is repossessed and um, you've got the papers for it, everybody's got to get off. You have no recourse but to pay for pay your mortgage to the bank and then the bank will could take a long time before they process that. So it takes it does take some time. This family was I felt so bad for them because literally I was putting them out on the on the street essentially. You know, they were doing their boat, they had their boat, they were just coming out and I was just basically putting them out on the street. And you know, it was hard. It was really hard. You know, I let them get all their stuff off and get it on the dock. They had no idea where they were going. They were, they were really short on money, and they were kind of making this last dash. I don't know what these people were thinking with kids and stuff like that. But eventually, um, they got off the boat. It broke my heart, and um, I had to, to take the boat uh, to Newport from Honolulu and, um, I did, and I did it. Um, I, I had a crew, I had to hire a crew. Um, and, um, off we, we went, we came back and, um, put the boat into Newport and, you know, after that trip back to Newport and all the rest of this kind of stuff, uh, the people, the, the, the husband, who was, I think a little crazy, to be honest, um, he came down and, and thanked me, Um, for taking care of his boat and as it turns out he found the money paid the bank and reclaimed the boat and uh, he and his family I had taken it all the way back I mean this is like two weeks almost three weeks actually before I, I got when I got back to to Newport and by the time I got back he had figured everything out had flown back from Hawaii with the family And they were standing there waiting, and they got back on the boat and took off. It's just the weirdest thing. And they were all so happy, and they were thanking me so much, and how nice I was. And I had just spent all this time feeling horrible. Just horrible that I was kicking these people out of the boat. This is kind of like crappy stuff. I mean, I know car guys do it all the time, and it's just a car. But, you know, these, these things... They mean things to people. They have they have a sentimental or they have a sort of spiritual purpose for these people. I remember uh, a girlfriend had her car uh, repossessed. She was devastated because that represented to her a sense of independence that she had never had from her overbearing family and that she could go anywhere, and she could do anything. And obviously, she couldn't do everything, because she couldn't pay the bills. And it was just a hard, hard, hard thing to do. And um, I felt kind of bad for her on that. But I always feel bad for people on that. I just, you know, if it's an institution, okay, it's an institution. You know, they're not going to feel bad. It's just about the numbers. But you know, it is what it is. It's fair as fair. You know, you pay your bills or lose your boat, lose your car. So another time I, and this is funny, is is I ended up getting involved in these really weird stories. And one of the weirdest stories, not the weirdest, but let's say number two on the weird list, counting up, was I was asked um, to go down to Mexico. And I went down to Puerto Vallarta, to get a boat and I went down there and I found on this boat I had arrived I guess I got down in the marina um it was in the evening and the guy had this crazy crazy girlfriend and the guy was nowhere to be found the guy who owned the boat he was some you know back in the states or something like that and he had left this crazy woman on the boat And I got on the boat. Her name, I'll tell you what her name was. Her name was Cecilia. And Cecilia was from Minneapolis. And she was just as crazy as crazy could be. So I came to the boat. I had talked to the marina manager. Um, They said, oh, yeah, this this crazy woman is on the boat. I said, well, I'm going to have to get her off. And you know, maybe the police could come. We we usually do this kind of stuff, you know, very formal. If, if it looks like there's going to be a problem, we have the sheriff come. We tell them. We show them the paperwork. Say, this is what we're going to do. And these people have to get off the boat and let us take the boat. So, and I was by myself this time. So I go back, and um, I walk down the dock, and this, this woman just slings open, you know, the hatch. And she comes back you know prancing out and she just looked like she's just like mad as hell and she's just ready to get mad as hell and she's got her cell phone in her hand and as it turns out her boyfriend had called her and said look the boat's going to be repossessed you're going to have to get off and she said well what am i going to do and he said i don't give a fuck what you do just get the fuck off the boat she was livid, and she wanted to take it out on me, and she was screaming and screaming. This went on This went on for 35, 40 minutes, and finally the police just said, okay, we're going to take this girl, and she just broke down and cried, and she was saying, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that and this, that, and this thing, and she said, you know, he promised me he was going to pay the bills, and I don't have any money. I don't know how I'm going to get out of Mexico. I'm I'm really stuck, and I don't know this. I don't know that. And old softy here, old softy, as I would say, I said, well, I'm taking this boat up to Newport Beach. You could come with me if you want. And her face just lit up with happiness. She says, yeah, oh, great, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I said, but you can't, you've got to be good. Well, right there, my little soft heart is, and she was fairly good looking, I will say that. My little soft heart and the smaller of my two heads was actually doing the thinking. And I left out the basic rule of of, of sailing, which is, you know, don't don't be on a boat with a crazy person because you're going to have nothing but problems. Ah, uh, they could kill you in your sleep. You can't stay awake, you know, every minute for ten, twelve days, and this is a slog. For anyone who's listening to this, is doesn't know the the west coast of the United States and Mexico is Puerto Vallarta is the is the Gulf of Baja. You have to go across that, which is a, a shitty little crossing, and then it's all uphill. You're all into a good solid two and a half, three, four, five knot current. and usually the wind is is not helping you. You have to do a lot of tacking if you're going to be sailing or you're just flat out motoring. Um, you get a lot of offshore stuff. There's some super catabatic winds coming off of um, the seven sisters out there. I mean there's there's a lot of crap that you have to go through to get a boat back. And I was being paid very well to do this. And, but I had this crazy woman on the boat with me. She was okay for about, well, we got to Cabo, fueled in Cabo. And, and, and then she, she started to get a little weird. And I told her straight out, I said, look, you get weird, you get crazy, you're off the boat. I will leave you right here. I have no responsibility for you whatsoever, which actually is a lie. Um, if you take somebody on a boat in a foreign country, okay, you take um, responsibility for them. So if, if I wanted to dump her there, the authorities would come after me and say, hey, you got to pay for this girl to go back to the United States if she can't pay. Because we're not going to take care of her, so it becomes my responsibility to to give her the money to go wherever to go back to where she she originated from in the United States. I told the story about having this woman on my boat that she was uh, English, and I dropped her off in Gibraltar, and she didn't want to get off the boat, but I didn't have to pay anything because Gibraltar's um, is a part of England. British Virgin or the British um, Isles, so that was cool. So I didn't have to pay anything, but I have had mates that I've I had to fire this one chef who was no chef at all, and um, we were in uh, Saint Martin, and I had to pay for a ticket to get her back to Antigua because that's where she I picked her up. So I had to, you know, it's just what you have to do, and it's your responsibility, and there's a lot of things that are going on, but me being old softy and letting the other smaller heads do the thinking ended up with this really crazy human being on my boat. And she listened to me in Cabo. I took her, we got up to Turtle Bay, which is further up the coast towards the United States north. She became crazier and crazier. And in fact, I was going to send her off to the grocery store to go buy some gro- give her some money and send her off to the grocery store. And then I was going to leave and leave her there. But I didn't think I could get out of the Mexican waters fast enough that the Mexicans wouldn't catch, her, catch me because this woman was so out of her mind. Anyway, this whole thing just ended up being like, she sat, she cried, she just, she was useless, um, she kind of calmed down. Um when I checked into San Diego, um, she was very happy to get off the boat and literally didn't even say goodbye. Didn't even say thank you. She just walked off the boat. Just and disappeared. Never saw her again. And eventually I got the boat, you know, from San Diego up to Newport Beach, which isn't which isn't a big thing, but you have to clear in um in San Diego. Out there on Shelter Island, so that's sort of the craziness you can do. But the craziest story about being a repo man, and I was never. This wasn't like a full time thing. There were there are guys who that's what they do is they repo all sorts of boats. You know whether it's a it's a yacht um, or a. Um, uh, Containing a container ship, you know, size doesn't matter. Usually, the big ones are okay. Um, They they pay their bills and they take care of their boats. But it's it's all the nefarious stuff about the uh, mid-sized cargo ships that end up, you know, running from one crazy country like in Haiti, you know, from one from Haiti to Venezuela and back and forth, and you know, or from you know, Mexico, El Salvador and, and, and back to the Abacos and, you know, just like a lot of this crazy sort of like, you didn't think there was going to be a line of, of distribution through these areas, but there are, and, and profits are, are slim and people do a lot of crazy stuff to get out of the mortgage for a boat. in fact, I almost bought a freezer boat and the boat, um, was uh, from the norwegian government it was a it was a boat that froze fish but as it turned out it had been converted to be able to carry frozen food and um, i thought it would be a great idea to take frozen food from florida from miami and then distribute the frozen food or fre- and fresh food all the way through the windward islands because there wasn't that much refrigeration. There wasn't all fresh food had to be flown in. It would have been a nice way, and it, it you know turned out to be a kind of nice business thing. And they were going to give me a loan of $900,000 for the boat. And I just looked at that, and I just thought, nah, I don't think I'm going to do it at the end of the day. Just the money, the profit, the fuel all the other stuff you have to go through with a boat is just, it didn't seem like it was going to work out very well. So these guys were the, the company of repo men were really, really liked me and really liked the work I had, you know, gone to Hawaii and got a boat back from them. I'd gone to Mexico and I'd done a bunch of boats up and down the coast. It was like a once a month thing kind of, which is a really great, thing because you're getting paid your, your stand up delivery fee. If I go deliver for a company or, or for a boat owner, I got a set fee I'm going to charge. Um, and that's, what's going to happen. You know, they're going to pay that fee, but they also were paying me for, you know, the fact that I had to repo the boat. So there was a, you know, there was bonuses involved and, and everything. So I was making really good money. And in fact, I had thought about quitting vessel assist at the time, and and just uh, go straight up on a repo, man. But the repo business is one of those business where if things are good in the economy, they don't have much business. If things are bad in the economy, they have a lot of business. And they've recently, as I understand, they've been doing extremely well. So, um, you know, people just couldn't pay their, can't pay their bills on their boats, and boom, these guys come in, swoop in, and take it out. Now, one of the other things that I do, um, that these guys do, is is they also do airplanes, but that's not something I'm interested in. I can't do, I don't have the skill set for that. But I did spend, as many of you know, many, many, many years, 18 years in the Caribbean. And I know the Caribbean really well. I'm safe, I can say that that I know it pretty well. Let's put it that way. So they asked me if I would go find this yacht. It turns out there was a yacht that was um, worth about $15 million. It was a Benetti. And a couple of things. First of all, um, I, as I said before, I was a surveyor in an Italian yard in San Lorenzo. So I can read Italian, I can read you know Italian um, uh, diagrams and drawings and all the rest of this kind of stuff. I know what all that stuff means, so that um, I'm fairly familiar with Italian boats, and I know how they kind of wire stuff, and they have a particular way, of course. And so I qualified on that. I qualified on the fact that I was I knew the Caribbean. And they said, look, we have this boat, and it is anchored, from what we understand, um, off of a marina down in Columbia. And we'd like you to go down and get that boat, but you can't fly in there. You have to figure out how to get in there by water. And we'll hire a boat to take you in there to get the boat and take it out. Well this has this has cheesy dicey danger written all over it. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, Columbia, let me see, there's this thing called the cartel. There's drug dealers, they steal boats, they're big on stealing boats and using them. Especially if you've got one of these, you know, big, you know, 4-5 engine outboard super fast boats, they'll they'll steal that kind of boat in a heartbeat and use it to smuggle drugs. And, um, so, and they said, well, we're going to pay you a, a big fee. If you get this boat out, it'll be a big fee. Trust me. So I'm, you know, we're talking six figure fee. And I thought to myself, okay, let's give this a shot. And so they, they fly me. Um, I had, they had a boat and they flew me out to the Grenadines And I got to the Grenadines and they had hired a local guy with a fish, a local fishing boat kind of guy, long range kind of fishing boat. And who went into, would go into Venezuelan and Colombian waters periodically, um, for whatever reason. And this was like totally wrong because I didn't even think this boat could make it. It was, it just had a little cabin on it. It wasn't I wasn't going to sit outside from the Grenadines, you know, to, down to Venezuela. Just to Venezuela is is probably one hundred fifty, two hundred nautical miles. Then go from all the way across the coast of Venezuela to Colombia, you know, is it's another four or five hundred miles. So there's a lot of miles to be to be had. So I said, no, we're not going to do it this way. So I went to. Um, I took a plane, a little island hopper, uh, down to Trinidad. I got down to Trinidad in Chickamongas. And I had um, brought my boat into the yard there for years. And so the guys kind of knew me. And I started asking them, I said, look, I want to get a boat to take me to go get a boat. I'm repelling a boat in Colombia," And they were like, Are you crazy? Are you that desperate for money? You know who this is? You know who those people are? And all the rest. And they said, Yes. He says, We got one guy who will do this and he can get you in and out. I said, Okay, who is this guy? So, this crazy Frenchman, Paul, crazy as crazy can be, dying to make some money. He hadn't eaten in like three or four days when I I came to his boat, it was a sailboat and it was a home-built fiberglass sailboat independent very french all the rest had no money hadn't eaten skinny as a rail took him out to eat i said this is what i want to do all you have to do is drop me next to this yacht and i will take the yacht and then you just come back here and i'll pay you i said i'll I'll give you a thousand bucks to do this well his eyes lit up he said great what about food and you know what about fuel and what about this? And what about that? I said, I give you a thousand bucks, period. The rest of the cost is up to you. I get it I get it I'll give it to you in cash. And he said, And when would you like to go? I said, Right now. I said, Okay. And he just went, lifted the anchor. He we went over to the fuel dock, he fueled the boat, boom. Out of Piraeus Bay. Along the coast of Venezuela past We went out a little bit, a little ways out. Um, good going in that direction because the current is, uh, is with you. Um, and we went out to the line, what I call a line. Now, the, the Amazon River, and for those who have not been down there, um, the Amazon River is greenish in the ocean. And it's full of sediment and it's full of fish. And it's just absolutely gorgeous. Once you get past the flow of the Amazon River, and this is the Amazon River, it goes all the way around the corner, around Venezuela, up Colombia, and it's sort of, then it begins, then it gets a part of the Gulf of Mexico, the rotation, and it can become somewhat diluted. And you lose a little bit of that green to go to that really pure, deep um, Caribbean blue. So we went out past that line. I figured that's good 12 miles. We'll go along the Venezuelan coast. And Hugo Chavez was, you know, king at this time. And the place was like madhouse. And so we went past there. We didn't stop anywhere. And this French guy, Paul, was a really good sailor. That, that I kind of knew right off the bat that he was a good sailor. And off we went. And, and we got past Venezuela. And we came into Columbia and it was sort of this whole eerie thing. We'd see fishermen and they'd wave to us and we'd be sailing down and, and, and then we'd kind of, you know, go into, um, little marinas here, little marinas there and fuel up and get some food, get some fresh food. And, and as it turns out, Paul was like, he'd never been there. And he thought, I'm going to stay. I think I'll stay here. This is great because it was, you know, it was inexpensive to say the least. Um, And it's not sure it's dangerous with the cartel guys and all the rest of that stuff. And there was a lot of violence, Um, but you know, in the countryside and there was a revolution going on, there were rebels, I guess it was violent in general, but you could keep a pretty low profile and nobody would bother you. And you can enjoy it. Because it's a, it's a marvelous coast. It's a very beautiful coast. So we came down to the marina. And there she was. The Benetti was sitting out. And um, we anchored out near the Benetti. And I said, let's just anchor here and see what's going on. And there was one guy on the boat walking around. And I assumed that was the captain of the boat. Um, there was a dinghy. Um, it was, uh, you know, tied to the, the stern of the boat and this one guy, there was just one guy walking around the boat and, um, I was just, we watched for five, six, seven hours and, um, then I finally, I said, I finally said to Paul, I said, I don't know if this guy's going to get off, but I've got to get over to that boat and there's no way that I'm going to to go to the authorities and say, I'm taking this boat because it's being repossessed because the person who had stolen the boat, it was stolen. Okay. From an owner who the insurance company suspected was in on the theft. He, um, sold it to a guy who was a cartel guy. He worked for the cartel, a lot of money. You know, mid level kind of guy, but still, you don't want to screw with these people, you know, because they can be pretty mean. So, this guy's got money in this boat that he bought from a thief who arranged it with this owner and all the paperwork. And this is like, this is like some ridiculous stuff. So, the guy that was on the boat, the captain or whatever, hops in the dinghy and he disappears goes into goes into port we're not that far off the marina we're just you know we're just anchored out it's nice and i said okay take me over there so we lift up the anchor and paul drives drives me over and is, you know he's he's got a little 40 foot boat 42 foot boat um you know it's not big and compared to the benetti which was 120 feet it was you know kind of tiny So I get over, I hop off with my bags and I hop up on the boat. I I run into the pilot house. I check to see if there's anybody on the boat, which was like the most nervous I could possibly be because it just had to be somebody else on the boat, maybe sleeping downstairs. I checked the crew quarters. Um, Nobody was there. The boat was empty. So I run up, I run up to, I go into the engine room I um, check out everything in the engine room. I start the engines from the engine room and transfer the um, the controls to the bridge. I run up to the bridge. Um, I start uh, with the anchor. It's automatic. It's electric, so you can just start lifting. I lift up the anchor, and I'm. I mean, I'm going. I'm. I'm going. I get the anchor out of the water. Paul sails. Out of my way, I turned that boat off round, and I mean literally hard, like just once I get that anchor up, I just did a pivot, and then I just took off and i I just floored it, I just gave it everything it had to go. I had checked the fuel when I was downstairs, the boat was full of fuel, and which was like genius, and off I went, and for about. 12, 13, 14, 15 miles. I was just motoring straight to get out of uh, international waters with Columbia. Um, I was just flat. And I turn around and I look, and here comes the guy in the dinghy. And I know that dinghy can catch me. That dinghy could probably do 45 miles an hour. I know he could catch me. And I'm just flat at go. I'm just there's nothing I can do. I'm just I'm committed. I'm going as fast as I can go. Um, I put it on auto helm, and I'm just sort of standing in the in the aft of the boat, just you know praying something doesn't blow up. And this guy in the dinghy, he's coming, he's coming. And as fortune would have it, after about ten miles, I had a good couple miles on him to start with. Because I had, you know, I could see he went into a bar, he was drinking, and then somebody turned around and said, hey man, your boat's disappearing. And he turned around with it and jumped down in his dinghy and came after us. But I'd already gotten a couple of miles between us before he even realized where, what was going on. And I got that, I got that boat out past the international water so it was clear of the Colombian police um, or the Colombian Coast Guard. Um, I was just, I had enough fuel that I, I, I I had it straight out. Um, I ended up taking the boat into Antigua, um, and the insurance company and the Antiguan government were there. Um, and they, they gave me the government said, okay, you, you, this was a legal repossession. This was a stolen boat and all the rest of that kind of stuff. And that was... That was the, 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 the craziest and most dangerous um, repo um, that I had ever done. And ironically, it was the last repo I'd ever done. I, I hung up my uh, maritime uh, repo spurs, and that was that's the way that opened up and finished out. And I was pretty much done with it at that point. I flew home. And, um, uh, I actually flew home and I went to work on a couple of movies that I was writing and, um, got them produced. So that was it. So thank you for listening. Um, crazy stories today. Um, I do want to give credit to, uh, Paulette McWilliams, who is the first voice you hear when we open up, um, Offshore Explorer, um, she is uh, doing a live show um, in uh, Vienna, Austria. Um, that will be the 29th. If you're on the East Coast, um, it'll be at about 11:30. Um, it's going to be. She's going to be singing with uh, Nat Adderley at Porgy and Bass, um, which is a very famous uh, Viennese uh, nightclub, jazz club, and she'll be there. Um, that's going to be. Uh, July 29th, uh, 1130, um, uh, Pacific time. Um, you know, it's my wife. So I'll, that's where the plug goes. I also want to thank, um, all the people that help me and all the people that follow me. Uh, I really appreciate it. You have, you have no idea how much I appreciate it. Um, I have a couple of, uh, other quick, uh, announcements, um, if we're uh, if you can take a look at some of our sponsors we have uh, our website which you can look in and see all the rest of the the final uh, podcasts um, 6 this is podcast number 67 episode 67 so if you need to catch up on some of the other ones you can go to our website it's offshoreexplorer.org, um, and you can find it on you can also find it on Facebook where you know offshore explorer with scott dodgson is on facebook as well as uh, a couple of other things you can use um, look on there there's lots of little um, references and links to lots of interesting sailing stuff and some sailing stories and i really 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 appreciate you listening and for now uh, calm seas and uh, uh straight out winds that'd be nice thank you